0: Good morning, Redemption. Welcome to Advent. My name is Josh Butler, one of your lead pastors here. So we got the call on a Tuesday. Uh, my wife, Holly, and I uh, got the call that there was a newborn waiting for us at the hospital. So we called each other up, we jumped in the car, we zipped over, we we're kind of in separate places at times, so we zipped over to the hospital together, and uh, we had been trying for more children for a couple of years after our daughter was born, and it wasn't happening. So we stepped into foster care to become a temporary home for a child in need. I we remember getting to the hospital, and as we first held James in our arms, man, our hearts were just captivated. We were his foster family. Uh, now, it was temporary. Being a foster family, it was temporary. Our goal was to seek him being reunited with his birth mom. And so we loved her, we supported her, we wanted to help her, and we wanted to care for him while she was seeking to get healthy and in a spot where he could be back with her. And that was a hard spot to be in where it's temporary, where your heart is bonding with this child and you're just falling in love with them. Uh, and yet you also know that it's, it could very well be, and the goal is even that there would be reunion with his biological uh, mother. And so at the end of two years, however, we got the word that things were moving from foster to adoption, that now uh, the way was being opened for him to need a safe and permanent forever home, and for us, if we wanted to be that forever home for him. And last night, actually, at the dinner table, my son asked me, he said, Dad, why, why did you guys want to adopt me? He said, this is just last night. And my mind went back all the way to that hospital with Holly and I, holding him in our arms for the first time, and little could we have known that two years later, he would be our son. Not partway our son, not kind of our son, not a little bit our son, but truly and fully our son. That's the power of adoption, making him fully our son. And Christmas is about your adoption, making you truly a child of God. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4 this morning, so if you have your Bible and you want to open up and turn to Galatians 4, but what we're going to see this morning is that Christmas is about your adoption. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not adopted, that is some of our story, but for a lot of us, most of us, maybe that's, that's not your story, and yet the gospel says it is your story, that if you are in Christ, this is our story, that we have been adopted as children of God, and that actually this is what the Christmas story is all about, that Jesus was born so that you and I could be adopted. That God sent his son so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. So let's jump into Galatians 4 today and see how we have been brought, not as kind of children, not as sort of children, not as maybe a bit, but to become through adoption truly and fully sons and daughters of God. Hey, Galatians chapter 4, in verse 4, the Apostle Paul, he says this, he says, "'But when the fullness of time had come,' God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christmas is about your adoption. Paul is saying here that Christmas is about your adoption. God sent his son, he says, to adopt you as sons and daughters. I love here, he says that when the fullness of time had come, it's kind of like you can picture God, he's checking his watch and wondering, is the time almost here? Is the time filled up? Is the fullness of time come? Kind of like Holly and I waiting for that two years and waiting for the time to come when adoption could take place. Paul says when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. This is Christ, his only begotten son, the true... the Son sharing his divinity, his nature, his substance, he sent forth his eternal Son when the fullness of time had come. And how did the Son come? Well, he goes on, he says, the Son was born of woman, meaning that he took from Mary his, his own flesh and bone, he shares in our humanity. Jesus is not like a divine avatar, right? He's not a mirage that God took on where it kind of looks like a human, but he's not really, no, he was born of a woman taking on our flesh and our bones, sharing in our humanity. And he shared not only in our humanity, he also shared in our condition. Paul goes on to say that he was born under the law, meaning that he shares our condition under the law. He felt the full-weighted force of our frailty under the curse of sin. That though he was sinless, he bore the weight of our sin and he came under the law to redeem us out from under the law. That's what Paul goes on to say here. He says the reason he was born this way was to redeem those who were under the law. It's kind of like you and I were in juvie, right? Like we were under the law. We had been, we were stuck under the power of the law and we had committed this great offense that the reality of our sin had us in this spot and we were isolated alone. We had no one to bail us out. And yet Jesus came and joined us under the weight of the law in order to bring us out. And he came not only to break you out of juvie, so to speak, right? He didn't just come to do that and then leave you out on the streets, but he came to bring you into a home, his home his home with the Father. He goes on here to say that he did this so that we might receive adoption as sons. That the reason God sent his son at Christmas is so that you and I could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. That God's goal at Christmas is not just to give you some stuff, it's to give you a home. God's goal is, man, it's actually to get you, not only to get you out of trouble, But to bring you to himself. God is out to make you family. Now, there is a difference between being adopted into a family and being raised in an orphanage, right? Now, I remember my first time going to Cambodia. I used to work internationally and spend a lot of time in Southeast Asia. I remember my first time going to Cambodia, and I, I met with this 20-year missionary in Cambodia. And I asked him, I said, hey, do you have any advice? This is my first time here in the country. Do you have any advice for me? He said, yeah, just don't come back and tell me you want to start an orphanage. And I was kind of taken aback. I'm like, okay, well, I thought orphanage is a good thing, caring for the kid. You know, like, what's wrong with the orphanage? And, well, he went on to explain what he meant by that. He said, first off, uh, in Cambodia, most orphans are not actually orphans. Like one or both of their parents are alive. And he pointed me to some statistics and things showing that not only about internationally in the world as a whole, that over 80% of those who are orphans are not truly orphans. Most have one or both parents alive. And I asked him, I was like, well, then why would they be in an orphanage? And he said, well, because often the perception is that there will be a better education there, more access to food or better opportunities or things like that. And so all, you know, both for donors internationally, they can be big money makers throwing towards those things, but also for families on the ground, it can kind of be like, well, your opportunities might be better there, and so we'll step back. But the second thing he said was that the reality is the impact is not the same. That perception is false. And he pointed me to studies and research like this quote from Reuters that shows that, um, research shows that orphanages harm children's social, emotional and cognitive development. Institutionalization of very young children has a similar impact on early brain development to severe malnutrition or maternal drug use during pregnancy. Young adults raised in institutions are 10 times more likely to fall into sex work than their peers and 500 times more likely to take their own lives. Placing a child in an orphanage quadruples the risk of sexual violence. And what he went on to explain, was going, I think sometimes that we think of an orphanage and and it can provide for material needs, things like food and water and shelter and medicine. And uh, often we can look and go, well, that's the main stuff. That's what we really need. But he says, we were made for much more than that. But you and I, we also have relational needs. And what God's designed for us in the family is that we would actually experience things like intimacy, and nurture, and belonging, a place where you know and are known, where you don't need to perform or prove your value or worth, but you receive value and worth by one who, a family that embraces you and knows you intimately and deeply. And it goes on to say, God's design for family, it's powerful, and it's not easily replaced. Those relational needs run deep. The third thing he said is that here's perhaps one of the greatest tragedies, is that even those who are truly orphans, most of them have family too, right? over 98%. And he goes, here, here's the example. He said, hey, Josh, if you and Holly, your wife, you got hit by a car and you died tomorrow, what would you hope would happen to your biological children? I said, well, they go with our parents, right? He's like, exactly. And he's like, throughout history, around the world, and in Cambodia, same thing around the world, that most children have extended families. So 98%, even if they've lost their parents, have extended family who want to care for them. And so he goes on to say, this is a tragedy that we were made to be known and to know and to experience this deep intimacy and nurture and belonging in a family. And that our needs are more, what children need more than an orphanage is a family, right? Is the need to belong. And what you need more than an orphanage is a family. And I wonder how many of us end up treating Christianity more like an orphanage than a family. Right? Right? Like, I wonder if there are some of you this morning who have perhaps been wanting to consider whether you've been, perhaps been treating Christianity like an orphanage, like this place that you come to kind of get, uh, you know, like a, a dispenser of religious goods and services. Sort of the equivalent of food and water and medicine and whatnot. Like, maybe here I can go to just kind of get some basic needs met rather than a place that you would come to know and to be known to be welcomed into the family of God, to actually find brothers and sisters in life together in the kingdom that we're actually walking together and knowing one another and pressing deeper into life together as a church family. And yet it's not only that you would be known by others as brothers and sisters, but even more so, above all, that you would know the Father. And I wonder if there are some of us who have been, perhaps you've been treating God like a bureaucrat who is kind of just sort of maintaining the cold institution of Christianity. And his biggest concern is that you keep in line and don't get things out of order and cause him kind of to have to spend some extra time with you. And and, and so he's just kind of concerned with running the machine and you see yourself as an inconvenience, but you'll kind of show up to try and get the goods and services, then go away. And God's going, no, the gospel says you have a Father, who has come, he has sent his son, he has come in Christ for your adoption, to bring you into his family, to bring you home, that God has chosen you before the very foundation of the world. God chose you in Christ. Ephesians 1 says that you would be adopted to sonship as daughters and sons of God, that he has lavished on us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies with Christ. That means that when you come into home with the Father, he's not just kind of giving you the bare, scrappy leftovers from Thanksgiving a few days ago, right? No. God is bursting open the fridge and he's pulling out all the best stuff he has to give and he's saying it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Come on in and enjoy Enjoy the family, enjoy the feast, and enjoy the Father. Enjoy life with me as the Father. Gospel says, God has come in Christ that we might be adopted as sons. This means that for some of you this morning, I believe you need to stop looking for the Father and start looking to the Father. Right? You need to stop looking for the Father as if he's still out there uh, and you've got to go find him and you've got to dance or dress or put on the jig or do something to get his attention or do something to make him want to adopt you that, you that you feel isolated and alone. You've got to do whatever Christmas says. The gospel says, no, God has come for you. You don't need to go looking for The, the Father has come looking for you. And instead of looking for him, you can look to him. Trusting your adoption as his child in Christ to bring the fullness of where you are before him and to know and be known in life with him. It's the invitation, the gospel, is to live into that reality, the reality that you have if you are in Christ as a child of God. Now this can raise a question though. Am I really... God's child, some of us might be asking, is adoption kind of a a second best, like a runner-up form of family? I think for some of us, you may be a suspicion that, man, this is sort of a consolation prize or a runner-up to quote-unquote real family. When you think about it, we use the word child in all sorts of different ways. You've got like a flower child or a child of the 90s. This is just one more euphemism. We're kind of using the word child, but it's not really... A child, and if we think that about adoption, there's the danger, it can leave you wondering, well, am I then really God's child? If I got into this through adoption, am I really God's child? Does adoption really make you a child of God? Well, I want to show you from Jesus' story, his own story, Christmas story that it does. Matthew 1, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 1 and, and verse 16. It's an interesting little verse. It comes to the end of a genealogy. Everybody's favorite part of the Bible, the genealogies, right? Long list of descendants. And it comes to the end here. It says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the father of Jesus. No, it doesn't say the father of Jesus. It says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Adoption makes you a real child. A real child. You might be asking, how, Josh, did you get that out of that one little verse there, right? Well, adoption makes you a real child. I believe we see this here in Jesus' own story. You see, Jesus is Joseph's real child, even though he is not his biological child, right? Let me explain what I mean here. First, Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. It's interesting. He calls him here, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and what's interesting about that is All the way, if you can read the last 17 verses, it's been saying, the father of, the father of, the father of. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of the father of the father of the father of the father of. Jacob was the father of Joseph. And Joseph was the father of, uh-uh, no, crosses that out. Joseph was the husband of Mary. Now, why does Matthew do that? Why does he change it up? Why does he emphasize he's the husband of Mary? Well, it makes sense when we go on and read the story, and we discover that it says that before they came together, Mary was with child, read in verse 16, before they had even come together. That was like ancient code language for sex, right? Before they had come together, it says she was with child with the Holy Spirit. But Joseph didn't know that, and so Joseph knew enough to know, well, hey, if you got pregnant, we haven't been together yet, that means that there's someone else in the picture. So he's just getting ready to leave Quietly and leave her on his own. But he had an angel of the Lord come to him in a dream and explain, no, Joseph, that child in her, it's not from some other guy. It's actually, con- she was conce- the child was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph marries her. And so what all this is saying is that the virgin birth means that Joseph is not Jesus' biological child, father. Joseph is not Jesus' biological, biological father. But check this out. Joseph is still Jesus' actual father. Here's what I mean. The Messiah had to come through the line of David. The whole reason Matthew just wasted 18, he didn't waste him, but you know, like he only got so much page space. He just spent 18 verses writing down the father of the father of the father was he had to show that Jesus's lineage is actually through the line of David. Only the line of David runs not through Mary. He says it runs through Joseph. Right, You go on in verse 17, He it says it's through Joseph from Abraham to David and from David to Babylon to through Joseph that Jesus is reckoned the Messiah. What this means is that Joseph is Jesus' actual father. Jesus is Joseph's real child. If he's not, he can't be the Messiah. Right. That means adoption works. Your salvation depends on it. Your salvation depends on it. Christmas is about both the birth of Jesus by Mary and the adoption of Jesus by Joseph. Jesus is Joseph's real son and our real Messiah through him. That's Matthew's point here. Now, what that means, a couple things here. One, that means that if you're an adoptive parent here this morning, I want you to know your child is your real child. Like your adopted child is your real child. There are people who can sometimes say hurtful things, they mean well, but we've had people say things before like, uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, but he's he's not your real son. Or things things like, well, how does he relate with your real children? And I can get what they're saying. Like what they're trying often to say, I think, is to express like, well, he's not your biological child, right? But here's what the gospel affirms is that, no, my son is my real son. Not kind of my son, not sort of my son, not second, but like he is fully, my son is my child. If you're an adoptive parent, you can take confidence knowing that your child, your adopted child is your child. Well, this also brings comfort if you have been adopted, if adoption is a part of your story, what this communicates is that you have real family. Your adoptive family is your real family, that there is real identity and belonging there. And I believe that as well, uh, that you can find intimacy with Jesus. As someone who knows what it's like to be raised by a parent who is not his biological father, right? His biological parent, and it's interesting. Actually, we go in the Bible, and in the ancient world, the word that Paul uses for adoption in our Galatians four passage this morning, where he says, "adopted," to If that word was used, and it meant you had the full, you were fully in the family. You were not, not in a way, a neighbor wasn't in the family that way, a servant, a friend, no one else was in the family that way, only you had the full rights, identity, security of being a real daughter or son as a part of the family. It actually meant you had the full inheritance that when parents die, you inherit the farm along with everyone else. You are fully, truly a child. And so for the rest of us, this is good news because what it means is that in the gospel, you are really God's child. You are not sort of God's child, not kind of God's child, not like, well, it would have been better if you got it. But no, you are fully included, brought into the family of God, truly his daughter or son. You are a real child of God. Now that said, there is a difference between birth and adoption, right? Between being a child by birth and adoption, and that difference is worth recognizing, even reflecting upon, we see this even in Jesus' story. And Jesus was adopted by Joseph, but he was born of Mary. And being born of Mary meant he took on her flesh and her bone. He took on her, some of her nature and substance. She received, he received from her, and. Similarly, you think about your kids and your kids, they, uh, they, uh, your biological children, they receive your, their flesh and their bone from you, and they often they look like you. They reflect something of your image. And if we think on a deeper level about Jesus as the eternal Son of the Father, back in eternity, like Jesus as the eternal Son of the Father, what that language means is that Jesus shares the divine nature and substance of his Father. He proceeds from him eternally. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God that the Son is begotten of the Father in a way different from you and I, right? Like, there's a difference between creator and creation, and Jesus is on the other side of that divide. He's part of the creator side of the equation. He is the only begotten is the eternal Son of the Father. And I believe this speaks to something, that there is something sacred to birth roots as well, right? There is something sacred to birth parents, Some of the implications here in our foster care and adoption ministry here at Redemption, uh, we are committed to honoring birth parents. We're committed to honoring birth parents. We believe the uh, the child, for good reason, theologically, the child shares their nature and substance with their birth parents. They reflect something of their image into the world, Uh, that we are committed to not demonize birth parents. That can be hard at times, right? Like, Uh, I have talked with a number of families in our congregation who have stepped into foster care and adoption. They go, man, it can be so hard when you see the wounds, when you see the scars on a child's body that you're caring for, when you hear their cries in the night, and it can make you angry when you know they've experienced abuse and abandonment and neglect. It can make you really angry and want to demonize birth parents. But when we zoom out in the gospel, we know that those parents are created in the image of God with dignity and value and worth, right? That Jesus died, he went to the cross and rose again, he went to hell and back to to redeem us all, right? To redeem those birth parents as well. And we wanna love them as Christ has loved. And even for children that we might care for, we recognize that their birth parents are a sacred part. Those are sacred roots in your child's story, Adopted children, but not only do we want to honor birth parents, but we also recognize that adopted children need permission to grieve. Right? Adopted children need permission to grieve. Uh, too often, adopted children can be expected to just pretend everything's be great, you know, just pretend everything's great, just be glad you got a family. But I think it's interesting that Reverend Keith C. Griffith he observes this, he puts it this way, he says, Adoption loss for a child it is the only trauma in the world where the victims are expected by the whole of society to be grateful, right? What he's saying here is that adoption is always a response to a tragedy, right? always. Like, is the adoption tragic? No, it's a redemptive response, but it's responding to something tragic in the backstory. And I believe, in this sense, adoption—it's—it's a, it's a window into the nature of the biblical story, right? Think about birth. Birth is part of the order of creation, but adoption presumes the fall, right? It presumes that there's something that's gone wrong in our backstory. There's something tragic that has happened. And the, similarly, the creational ideal is that as a child, to be able to be raised by the parents whose union brought you into existence, and yet through circumstances like abandonment or abuse or neglect or the untimely death of a parent, these are Horrible. And adoption is a redemptive response, like God's response to us in the gospel is redemptive, but it's responding to a tragedy, like the tragic nature of the fall that we're all experiencing one way or another in our broken world. You know, I anticipate that as my son gets older, he'll have questions about where he came from. Indeed, at nine years old, he already has. And, uh, you know, one of the things that my wife and I are committed to is he asks ask questions about his biological mother or father that, you know, we're committed to not saying things like, well, he's not your dad, I'm your dad, right? Like, no, we don't want to do that. We want to actually give space for him to ask questions and explore and to grieve things that need to be grieved, right? And similarly, in the gospel, you have permission to grieve, right? You have permission to grieve. That it is true, you have been adopted by your heavenly father, but that doesn't mean that, you've been through, that you haven't been through hell, right? Yeah. Literally. Like, we have come through the ravages of a sin-struck, war-torn, fallen world, right? Like, the reality of the fall means that our lives have been fractured and shattered in all sorts of different ways, and that's true for every one of us in this room, right? And the reality of your adoption, God's expectation for you, is not that you just put a happy face on and spout some Christian cliches and pretend like everything's all hunky-dory now because I'm in the family of God. No. God's going, you can bring the pain. You can bring your baggage to the Father. You can bring the stuff that you're carrying in with you, and God is welcoming it all. When God opens the front door and welcomes you into his home, He's welcoming all of you, not just the shiny, happy, polished parts of you, right? And so the beauty of the gospel is it gives you permission to grieve. And no matter how fallen or broken your experience in our fallen world has been, God knows you've got deeper, sacred roots that go all the way back to creation, that he has made you in his image with destiny and a glory and a purpose. And even through the ravages of the fall, he has adopted you to bring you, to redemptively bring you towards the future that you have in him. And so you have permission to bring all of you to the Father because there's security in his embrace as his child. Now, you might find yourself wondering, we can kind of go, well, how much of my heart can God really take? Right? There's some dark places. If well, I get honest and really look within, you might be saying, man, I, just, I find some dark stuff here. and I don't know if God can really take it. Well, let's go back to Galatians 4 where I love how Paul proceeds in verse 6. He's just said, hey, that God sent his son that we might receive adoption as sons. And he goes on in verse 6 and says this, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Your adoption means you can bring your heart's cry to your father. You can bring your heart's cry to your father. And notice he says, Um, because you are sons, he's saying, because you are a son or a daughter, because you have been adopted, because you are now in the family of God, this is what is true of you, that because you are children of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. Now, the spirit of his son, I find that so powerful, that Jesus' cry becomes our cry. That even in the eternal life of the Trinity, that The son, his longing for and love for the father that is deep calls out to deep as the son from eternity has uh, loved and just found belonging in life with the father as the one God. He's going now, that's the son's cry has become your cry. He sent the spirit of his son into your heart so that we might participate in that belonging, that love, that lavish affection for the father that the son has had in him from eternity. Now, where did God send this uh, spirit? Where did God send the person of the spirit? Well, he doesn't say that he sent the spirit into our brain here to help us think all the right thoughts, right? He doesn't say he sent the spirit into our hands, just go get to work and get some work done, right? I'm sure he's thinking, yeah, that, that stuff will flow, but he actually emphasizes here that, no, that God sent the spirit of his son into a deeper place than all that. He sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, that God has sent his spirit into the place of your deepest desires and affections and longings going, that's where God wants to transform you from the inside out. And what's the sign, what, what results when you start to experience that inside out transformation? Because we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, this was a word that was used back in the day. It was only used by family members, right, for the father of the household. And so uh, neighbors wouldn't use this term. Servants in the house wouldn't use this term. Close friends wouldn't use this term. Only family used this term. Now, I've heard some people kind of go some awkward directions with this, right? Uh, Let's dispel a myth here. Some people say, hey, this is like a, it's like baby infant, Goo goo gaga, daddy language, right? And so I've heard them do awkward baby voice prayers like "Daddy, goo goo gaga." I don't know. It's just it's really weird. <laughs> Let's dispel that myth. That's not. That's not what this is saying. All right. Now, what's actually going on here? This is more like I think my adult Korean friends who will still refer to their dad as "appa," right? or in uh, friends from India who will still refer to their dad as "baba," even though they're grown up, right? Now, the term is not childish, but it is childlike. Right? Like, it's not childish. We don't need to do the goo-goo-ga-ga purse, but it is childlike. Going, What it means is that you are in the family. Outsiders, they can't call God this, but you can. What Jesus calls his father, you can call his father. And you think of a kid who's been adopted, like asking at one point, maybe with trepidation, like, is it okay? Like, can I call you dad? And what God is saying here is, Yes, you can call me dad. You can call me father. You can use the most intimate language in that time for only for family members alone to go to God as your father. What I find so powerful about this is that Jesus' term for God has become our term for God. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, his darkest moment as he was prepared, preparing to go to the cross, guess what he cried out? He cried out, Abba, Father, that Jesus turned to his father and in his darkest hour, he found comfort, belonging, security, identity, closeness, safety, promise, hope. And all of those things are there for you too when you turn to Abba, your father, whatever you might be going through. What Paul is saying is that you are in the family and you can bring your heart's cry the Father. Now, this uh, reminds me of Jim and Misha. Uh, Years ago, we were part of a foster care adoption movement, and uh, there was this family, Jim, I'm sorry, Jim and Sarah, and Jim and Sarah stepped into foster care, and they received Misha into their home. Now, she was a teenager, and her backstory was tragic. Uh, Misha was a teenager. She had been trafficked into the sex industry, and Um, because of that, like she'd been exploited and just experienced um, just horrendous things that were really horrible. But as she entered Jim and Sarah's home, they were so excited to welcome her and embrace her. And as they welcomed her home, they threw a party and the first week or two were like a honeymoon, right? It was just like a blast. Everyone was having so much fun. Um, But after about week two, the honeymoon quickly wore off, right? Uh, Sarah, uh, Misha, like all these kind of gnarly wild behaviors, you know, anger and different stuff came out. And um, actually with Jim, she would be really nice to him and kind of flirt with him because she'd learn from her backdrop, like that's how you get safety and protection and, and different things. And Jim wouldn't respond to it, but it was still hard because, man, they were just trying to navigate this in, in, in their marriage. But while while she would be like that with Jim, with Sarah, she would be cruel and just cut her down. and And, and like she would call her like every name in the book. And mom wasn't one of them, right? And so they were going like, man, how do we navigate this tension with Misha, with all, man, just the, the, the stuff that she's got to bring into our life as a family. Well, after about six months, they were tired. So they said, man, we got to get out for a date night, right? It's time, time for a date. So they hired a babysitter came over to watch Misha. They got out on the town, and so they dressed up to the nines, went out to a fancy dinner, and finally they are like, reconnecting over candlelight, and it's so beautiful, and it's so wonderful, and yeah, and they just felt so good, and they came home feeling refreshed after this, and uh, they came home just like, oh, that was so good. I'm so glad we got away, and they walked in through the front door, and the babysitter was like, Misha did great. She's upstairs sleeping. They're like, oh, thank goodness. It's so good, and so they went up, and then as they got upstairs, Jim went into the bathroom and shouted out. He kind of said, hey. Sarah, don't come in here. And Sarah was like, what? And she kind of went over and got her foot in the door. And Jim was like, no, he's he's shoving the door shut. But Sarah has kind of barred it open and she's trying to get in. And they're going back and forth. And eventually, you know, Sarah gets more of her leg in and kind of works her way into the bathroom. And what she discovers is that Misha has taken her red lipstick and scrawled all over the bathroom mirror and all over the bathroom walls, F you, mom, F you, mom, F you, mom. And Jim kind of steps back, and he's just like, oh, man, this was a mistake. We never should have gone out. Like, uh, just, she, she wasn't ready. Misha wasn't ready for us to be gone. How do we take it, man? I, I wish we could go back and just not not have done that. But in surprise, he turns and looks, and Sarah is laughing. <laughs> like, not like a little tiny chuckle, but like, dude, it starts as like this, man, all laugh, and then it builds, and it, grows until Sarah is eventually like she's fallen over on the floor like just crying tears pouring just laughing it's like hysterically and Jim's thinking like oh my gosh she broke you know like (laughs) (laughs) she's gone crazy I I don't even know maybe we never should have gotten into the foster this is just too hard we didn't realize how difficult this was going to be and oh man what are we doing how are we going to survive this and finally he gets out you know he finally asks her he's just like Sarah what is so funny and through her laughter in her tears, she's able to get out the words. She says, she called me, Mom. She called me, Mom. It was the first time that Misha had called her, Mom. I love how God loves our angry prayers. See, sometimes I think that you and I, we can be like Jim, right? Right? Like, we come in and we're like, man, I got to keep the door closed before God gets in here. I got to get the Windex and the 401 and like scrub down the bathroom mirror on the walls. I got to, you got all this, man, red stuff scrawled on the bathroom walls of your heart. And you feel like, man, I got to clean this all up before God gets in and can see it. Got to protect him from it. Maybe if we work up the courage, you put a little post-it note on the mirror after. Like, sorry, God. Sorry, dad. Had a little bit of a bad day, right? (laughs) But the reality is that you and I are like Misha. Our lives have been torn apart by a world fractured by the fall, right? And we come in with our wounds and our baggage and the stuff that is just in us. You know, like we've got all this stuff that we bring into our life and home with the Father. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that God is like, Sarah, right? That God is like Sarah, that he is big enough to take it, and he welcomes the worst you've got to give, the biggest stuff you've got to bring, and at the end of the day, he simply delights that you call him Father, that you can bring your heart's cry to Abba, Father. And I have come to believe that less important than the content of your prayers is the one to whom there, I pray to. You, right? The Abba Father, right? Like that God wants to embrace you in the fullness of who you are, and that as you bring the fullness of who you are to Him, it begins to transform you from the inside out over time. Like, it's true, like if 10 years later, Misha's still saying, F you mom, F you mom. Like, was, there's something wrong there that you gotta deal with. And similarly, like in life with God, like over time, if 10 years later, 20 years later, there's no progression. Okay, that's a sign. But it starts with coming to God as we really are. With him encountering us with all the raw baggage and brokenness and things that we bring to the table. And the beauty of the gospel is that God welcomes it. He sent the spirit of his son into your hearts so that you could bring the fullness of of your life before him and encounter him as Abba, Father, because you are in the family. This is why we do our foster care and adoption ministry here at Redemption. It's not just because, hey, it's kind of a nice thing to do sometimes or whatever. It's to actually embody the gospel, to be a reflection of the father who loves vulnerable children and welcomes and embraces us as his kids and who lives at home. So I want to leave you this morning with four things that I believe this means for your relationship with God as his child. Four things. The first is this, honesty, that you can be honest, that in your prayer life with God, that if Christmas is about your adoption, being brought into the family of God, this means that you can be honest with God, that the goal of your prayer life is not to be good so much as to be honest. Kyle Strobel puts it that way in his book on prayer. They're like, sometimes we look to prayer as this place we're going to perform for God and try and be good. No, prayer is a place to bring your heart honestly before God. Like the, that red lipstick scrawled across the bathroom walls of your heart that you can bring yourself honestly before your father. Second thing is that you have permanence, right? You have permanence. You cannot be unmade as God's child. Adoption is permanent. Yeah. God ain't looking back. He's not going like, well, I don't know. I'm having sick. No, like you are fully in for good forever. There's nothing you can do. And you know that you are stepping into the permanence, that you're, you're living into that permanent reality when your crazy starts to come out, right? <laughs> because when you think it's temporary, that's when you like to perform and do the tricks and try to whatever, like, like you're trying to earn God's approval still, still trying to make him think that you're worthy of his affection. But man, we see this all the time, whether it's in a a child with adoption or in marriage. You know, when you're dating, you're like, dude, you're putting on your best face. You want to get them in. But then once it's permanent, that's when all my crazy came out, right? (laughs) And similarly, like a sign that you're trusting, man, I'm fully in God's family. I'm adopted as a child. The permanence of that means you can let your crazy out because it's not on the line, right? You know, it's about God's great love for you more than it is your great love for God. And ironically, it's when you experience that, it begins to cultivate in you a great, great deepening love for God. Third thing, you have access to the Father. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 in the morning to ask for a glass of water is his child. Right (laughs) And that's it, dude. The reality is you have that kind of access. You have access to the king of the universe, the sovereign over all creation, not because he's king and you're his citizen, but because he's your father and you are his child. You can come before the almighty one anytime, day or night, and you have access to come before him through his spirit fully as you are and bring your heart's cry to him. Fourth and finally, You are heirs, meaning your story may start in an orphanage, but it ends in a palace, right? That in Christ, you get it all. As a true child of the father, as a daughter or a son of God, what that means, it is in Christ, the future that is coming for the world, you get the full inheritance in Jesus. It's all yours, right? You can have hope, whatever you might be going through now, because your identity is secure, and that means that your future is secure as a child of God and his kingdom forever. So because you are God's child, just to recap here, this means that you can be honest with God. It means that you have permanence with God. It means you have access to God. And it means that you are an heir of God and his kingdom. As we come to the table this morning, we come to Christ the Son, who was sent to make you a daughter or son. We come to Christ, our brother, who has brought us in to his relationship, the family of God. We come to bread and wine, a sign of his body given and his blood shed. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this table is for you this morning, that we come in a posture of worship to celebrate our life together in God's family through Christ the Son, And through the power of the presence of the Spirit, our hearts cry out. We want to respond and worship and cry out, Abba, Father. And I want to encourage you as we go into this Christmas season, this Advent season, that God sent His Son to make you a daughter or son. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You that You are a Father who loves vulnerable children, God. That in a world impacted by the fall. God, for all of us, God, who have experienced in one way or another the the tragedy of a world broken from the way it should be, that you are a redemptive God who is out to pursue and redeem and to make whole, and that, God, you have invited us into your family. Jesus, we thank you that you were adopted by your earthly father so that we could be adopted by your heavenly father. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, you took on our flesh, you took on our humanity, you took on our condition, not just to break us out of juvie, God, not just to get us into some, I don't know, out out on the streets on our own, but to actually bring us into a home and a family with a feast and a father at your table. So Jesus, we come to the table this morning full of gratitude and thanksgiving. And we come desiring to worship you and bring our hearts cry before you we cry out this morning abba father i pray if there are any here this morning who god are experiencing right now just kind of the red scrawling on the bathroom walls of their heart i just want to create a moment now if that's you that you just quietly bring that before god in prayer I create some space we can bring wherever you're at just your heart's cry before your abba your father let's create a moment now in silence where you can Quietly, bring your heart's cry for the Father. Like Christmas, God, you sent your Son to make us sons and daughters, and so we look up To you, we are no longer looking for you, God. We look to you as your children, and we cry, thank you. We bring you our grief, and we bring you our joy, and we bring it all before you as our Father, God. You are the fulfillment of our hearts, cry, Father, we love you. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus, who's brought us into your family forever, we pray, say amen.